Good morning. Welcome. You may be seated. For those of you who are gathered indoors in our sanctuary, those of you who are gathered out here in the lawn slash parking lot slash all the other places where you are scattered, uh, and those of you who are at home, thank you so much. Uh, y'all, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit uh, overwhelmed. I know we just used that word. We have an incredible crowd this morning, uh, so much so that, uh, and this is a good thing, we, we've got to reevaluate how we're going to fit everybody in so that we can maintain all the social distancing. So it's a really, really Really good problem for us to have as we continue to figure out where in the world we're going to stick everybody. So um, that I'm just thrilled to death. Uh, I, today, for those of you who, who are not aware, maybe who are watching online, today's the first day that we've attempted to return to life groups. And so many of our folks were here for life groups um, with, uh, with efforts we could, all the efforts we can make to be safe. And I've got to be honest with you, I walked through this morning and I made sure that doors were unlocked and unlocked doors that we don't normally unlock so that we can have access to ways we don't normally have. And I checked all the air conditioning units, which apparently we forgot to go back and reprogram last week and turned them all on to make sure everything was cool and turned on lights and rearranged some hand sanitizer stations. And in the midst of all that, I, I caught myself just grinning from here. I was so excited. I was so excited to, uh, to have an opportunity to return to life groups. And apparently that's been the case for many of you because we had just a wonderful crowd who has turned out today, not only for worship, but for life groups. And so uh, you guys join with me in praying that God would, would bless that and that our efforts to be as, as, as safe as possible are rewarded. Um, and we will continue to do all that we can. If you have your Bibles, we are going to be in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. We won't read the whole thing, but you can go ahead and turn there. I've got two announcements that I need to make. First, as soon as service ends this morning, um, so we'll go through the exact way that we have, and uh, our deacon will pray at the end. Uh, once that happens, uh, our live stream will cut out, but I need you all to hang tight we do have to have uh, a short business meeting. This will be the first time we've done one outside. Uh, and for those of you who are indoors, Pastor Buster will be in there with you all. We just need to approve the nominating committee report. Uh, so uh, if there are questions about it, you need to get those formulated right now, and you'll need to explain those loudly so that we can work with it. But uh, uh, we will be doing that. It won't be live on air, but just, just hang out for a couple of minutes while we address that as soon as service is over. And then this evening, we do have our tailgate fellowship. This is, I think, the third time that we've done this. They've been really good in the time that we've done it so far. So here's what you do. You show up. We will park over there, all right? Uh, you bring your own food. You can bring a grill. You can bring a table. You can bring a fire pit and roast marshmallows. It doesn't really matter. Um, you can go by Sonic and pick up uh, your own hamburger on the way. The, the whole point is we're going to come and we're going to sit and socially distance a little bit, but fellowship. So uh, come out and have a good time. These things have been really good uh, when we've done them so far this summer. So I hope that you'll plan to be with us this evening for that. Uh, the newsletter went out this week as well. You can see other things listed in there. The biggest thing is beginning in the month of October, we're going to be doing a prayer emphasis. You're going to see a lot of information about that. And I hope that you'll join with us as we really emphasize praying for our community and praying for, uh, for the Lord to do a work here among us. All right, hopefully by now you've had a chance to make it to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to read Hebrews 11, 1 through 8, and then we're going to skip over and read the last two verses in this chapter. Stand with me, if you would, in honor of God's Word. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation— 
By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. And then turn over to verses 39 and 40. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I pray that you would work in, through, and among us this morning. I pray, God, that this word would take root in our lives, that we would honor it with all that we have, Lord God, and that it would change us. May we revere it, Lord God, and more than anything, may we recognize the God behind it who alone is worthy of all praise and glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Last week, we looked at the very end of Hebrews chapter 10 and Hebrews 11 verse 1. I told you last Sunday that I really wrestled with Hebrews chapter 11 because we could do basically one sermon out of Hebrews 11 or we could do about 15 sermons out of Hebrews 11. I'll just be totally honest. I'm afraid that the ability of my preaching may get in the way of us accomplishing 15 sermons out of here. I'm not sure that I've got what it takes to keep you guys all plugged in, especially this far into the book of Hebrews as we are. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take all of Hebrews chapter 11 as, as one big piece and we're going to preach one sermon from it before we move on into Hebrews uh, 12 and the rest of the book. There could come a point in time in a few years where I come back and preach a sermon series through Hebrews 11 because we have so many good stories and pictures of faith that are referenced there. In just a few verses that I read this morning, we read of, of Cain, and we, or excuse me, we read of Abel, and, and we read of Noah, and we read of Abraham, and we read of Enoch, and of so many more. So the purpose this morning in reading verses 1 through 8 is to give you a picture of what the entire book of Hebrew, or the entire chapter of Hebrews 11 is. If you can just imagine with me, if you've never read Hebrews chapter 11, then what you'll find if you read through there is just repeated references to people in the, New, in, in, in the Old Testament. I, this week, took, as I studied through this and opened my notebook, and I wrote each name that's referenced in there, and it takes up nearly an entire page in my notebook of the people who are referenced in Hebrews chapter 11. And the picture in, <laughs> excuse me, and the picture um, and the, uh, of faith and the stories of faith that are represented in Hebrews chapter 11. But we're going to look at this, these first eight verses, as sort of a picture as we wrestle with the question, in what do you have faith? In what do you have faith? What is faith? Now, we saw this last week. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is confidence in things that have not yet happened and a conviction based on what has happened to you. Faith is what we Gamecock fans have before the first football game every single season. 
prayers are what we have after the first football game every single you, you see now listen i like the way that jay grisham machin once said it faith is the exact opposite of works Faith does not give, it receives. So when Paul says that we do something by faith, it is just another way of saying that we ourselves do nothing. I have faith that this trailer will hold me. I have a trust, a confidence in it. Brian pulled this trailer here today. He backed it in. He parked it right here just a few moments ago. I don't know if y'all were watching. Believe it or not, this was a sermon illustration, but some of you weren't paying attention. Y'all see what I did? I took two steps and I jumped onto the trailer. Did y'all see that? I had an absolute confidence that when I jumped, this thing would catch me. Though it's got a little bit of give to it. I'm not sure how that feels. I'm confident that no matter what I do right here, as long as I'm standing, this thing's just not going to give out on me. But do you understand that I'm not doing anything to accomplish the support that I receive from this trailer? I'm trusting completely in what it gives to me, and I give nothing back in return. So when we speak of the things in which we have faith, we're asking, in what are you trusting What are you trusting in? Not what are you contributing to, but what are you receiving from? More properly, as we'll see all the way at the end of this message this morning, we should be asking, who are we trusting in? Who are we trusting in? Now, here in Hebrews chapter 11, I want us to see four things. I want us to see the faith that we must have in the existence of God, the faith that we have to have in the Word of God, a hope in the faithfulness of God, and a hope in a better day to come. Now, we're going to be reminded as we work through this that there is a difference between hope and faith. Faith is a trust in what is. Hope is a confident expectation in the things that are to come. I have faith that God exists. I have hope that his word will be fulfilled as we see it in the future. You understand? My faith is in the God who is. My hope is in the God who will. And in the things that will be accomplished. So first we must have faith in the existence of God. Our faith begins in a confidence that God exists. Now we see this. We've got Hebrews 11.1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made, or was not made out of things that are visible. Right here, the very first definition or explanation of exactly how it is that we are to have this faith is that we are to have faith first and foremost in the God who has created. We have to believe that God exists. When we speak of a biblical worldview, it doesn't begin with a list of commands and expectations. A biblical worldview begins in the beginning with faith that God exists. But why would we call it faith? Because... Faith is believing in something for which you do not have 100% evidence. Larry McMichael once explained it this way, faith in God is sanctified common sense. I like that. Faith in God is sanctified common sense. We look around and we say, where in the world all this come from? Well, I say I believe that God must exist to have accomplished all of these things. Why would I say that rather than saying, well, poof, it just came from out of nowhere? Because I believe, and and God has worked in my heart and my soul and my imagination to give evidence for me to confidently believe that all of this must must come from a creator, God. Faith in a particular kind of beginning is what we would call, you ready for this, a pre-philosophical belief. In other words, it is 
the foundation of foundations, okay? It is how far we must dig down before we can actually have a firm foundation upon which we can build. When we built this building, they had to find good soil. They came out and they did soil samples. Some of y'all are smart. Y'all know more about this than I do. But they have to come out and they take core samples of the soil to determine if the soil has what it takes to actually support the building. And if not, then what they actually have to do is they have to build up the foundation, whether they bring in soil or they add concrete or whatever they do. They have to build up the foundation here. As a matter of fact, when they built this building, the first thing they did was they excavated around the edge and they poured a concrete footer all the way around the old existing building so that there would be enough concrete to support the steel that would go in to build the new building and to accomplish all the things that needed to happen. We had to have a, a foundation laid before anything else could be done. We knew that we had to have a lot of steel to make that building work. But what somebody else, an engineer, had to come in and explain to us was that that steel needed a proper foundation so that it could support the building. When we talk about a belief in a creator God being a pre-philosophical belief, we're saying that the first thing that we must have if we're going to develop a biblical worldview, we've got to have a strong and sturdy foundation. And that strong and sturdy foundation comes with an absolute confidence that God exists. You know, I can determine much of what any one person believes by dealing with this question, simply asking, do you believe that God exists? Do you believe that God exists? I can determine at that point whether or not we can have certain kinds of conversations. you understand? If you say, I do believe that God exists, then I have an opportunity to begin to talk with you about what it is and who it is that this God is that I believe in and what he's accomplished. But if your pre-philosophical foundation is that there is no God and all of the things that we see are just have a naturalistic explanation, then our worldviews are so far apart that I've got to go further back and actually deal with the question of where did we come from if there is no God. Folks, these are difficult things for us to work with because the Bible doesn't deal with a lot of atheists. You understand that? In, 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 in a world prior to our common time, there was not a lot of atheism. So when Paul spoke at the Areopagus there on Mars Hill, he talked about all the gods that they believed in. And he said, boom, you believe in all these, but let me tell you about the one true God. He, he said, you are so convinced and committed to the idea of gods existing that you've even created an, a, a shrine to the unknown God. Paul said, you wanted to make sure you didn't miss anything, so you went ahead and threw one out there and said, if anybody else shows up, that's your house, okay? We got you. And Paul says, you're committed to all of these things, but what you've missed is the one true God. Well, I was going to tell you something as we wrestle with this question of in what is your faith? Do you have faith in the existence of God? We've got to acknowledge that in Hebrews 11, we begin, we are told that these people who accomplished much for the Lord began with a belief that God exists. They believed that there was a God who existed. Just a real side note for you here in a missional and an evangelistic mindset. I want you to know that we live in a world that is filled with competing gods, even though people don't always realize that what they worship is an idol, a false god that's been made in their own image. Many of those who would claim to have no belief in a creator God have formulated a worldview that is nothing less than a religion that falls down and worships at a God that they themselves have created. Why? Because we are worshiping people. 
God has made us a worshiping people. Augustine said our hearts are restless until they find rest in him. But make no mistake about it, because our hearts are restless, they are always looking for rest wherever they may find it. Faith in the existence of God is the first place. Do you have faith? First, you've got to have faith in the existence of God. Second, you've got to have faith in the Word of God. They didn't only believe, these people that we've read about this morning, they didn't only believe that God existed, but that the universe was created by the Word of God. Do you have confidence in the Word of God? All of these commended in Hebrews chapter 11 believed the Word of God. Noah believed and, uh, believed and built an ark. Abraham believed and left his home to go to a place where he'd be shown. Sarah believed and gave birth to a son. Moses believed and delivered Israel. The Israelites believed the word of God and walked through the Red Sea on a dry ground. Rahab believed and lived. Barak believed, even though most wouldn't have. The story of Barak is one that gets me because when he received the word of God, it came from the prophetess Deborah. You understand that most people wouldn't have given the time of day. Now, Barak still doesn't have the faith that he should because he says, I'm not going to go unless you go with me. There's a good joke for all the wives here, right? Behind every good man's a good woman kind of thing right there. But Barak says, I won't go unless you go. And Deborah says, oh, I'll go, but you'll get no glory in this because a woman's going to get all the glory in it. But y'all, Barak didn't believe as he should have, but Barak still went. Do you understand? He went. And because he went, God delivered Israel. And folks, that's so much more important than Barak getting credit, isn't it? That God delivers Israel. You ready? Anyway. Do you believe the word of God? Do you have faith in it? We all have faith in something. We all trust in something. Do you trust in the word? Not only for your salvation, but for your life. Now, I I, 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 I promised Victor yesterday I wouldn't be too harsh on this sermon, right? I, I gave him my word. I'm going to be easy. So I'm going to try and be gentle with this. But I still want to say this to you. There's a whole lot of Southern Baptists and evangelicals who have a lot of confidence in the Word of God when it says that it saves us from our sins and delivers us to be with the Lord one day but don't seem to have the same confidence in that word when that word gives us principles for how it is that we should live our lives. So we wrestle with questions about how we should handle our finances, for instance. And we go, well, I, I believe in, I know that God saved me. Well, do you trust the word of God when the word of God speaks about tithing or does that just come in, oh, that's a different animal altogether. What about turning the other cheek? Will you do that? Or was that really not for us? I love that. Oh, I get excited. I'm sorry, Victor. I, I, it's going to happen. I apologize. We're in a political season, so I love this one. Well, that's the Bible, but it wasn't talking about politics. Shut your mouth. It either talks to all of us in every aspect of life, or it doesn't speak at all. Do you believe it when it comes to that? Or do you believe that politics is just different? You've got to be nasty and ugly. You don't need to love your enemy if that enemy is a polit political enemy. We need to do all we can to overcome them. Do we pray for our enemies? Love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. Oh, in evangelicalism, we've stopped praying for those who persecute us. We're just, 
worried about beating those who persecute us? Will you trust in God's vengeance? Will you trust the Lord when he says, pray? Do you pray? You want to know if you take God's word seriously when it says that the fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much? Do you spend time praying? Or do you automatically look for another excuse, another way to deal with your problems? Well, this thing came my way. I guess it's woe is me. It's on my shoulders to deal with it. Or do you find yourself hitting your knees and saying, Lord God, my shoulders can't bear it, but praise Jesus that on the cross of Calvary, you took all my sin and all my shame. And Lord God, I need you. How about this one? You trust in the power of the gospel to take you to be with Jesus one day, but do you, do you trust God's word when it says that you've got a responsibility, an opportunity, a privilege to actually share the gospel with the world around you? Do you believe that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to the Jew and the Gentile and to everyone who believes? Do you believe that there's actually, actually no soul on God's green earth who is beyond the saving power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? Because that's what God's word teaches us, that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved, every single one. Do you have faith in the word of God, or do you have faith in your own abilities to explain things away? You see, all of these are essentially tests of your faith in the word of God. And I know that's a mean thing, right? That kind of gets under our skin, doesn't it? Whoa, whoa, pastor, did you say I don't trust God's word? I didn't say that. What I said is these are things God's word says. And I'm asking you, do you trust in the way that the word of God presents it? Or have you carefully crafted your own explanation so that you don't have to believe those things? And if you have, then I'm not saying you don't trust in God's word. I'm saying that maybe you don't trust in God's word and you need to look in the mirror because the truth of the matter is, and then I should just go ahead and say, some of you don't. You trust in parts of God's word, but y'all, it's hard for us to trust in all of God's word, isn't it? Because when I commit to trusting in all of God's word, God's word doesn't always rub me in the direction I want to be rubbed. Sometimes it rubs up against me. And can I just confess to you that I struggle too. Because God's word doesn't always tell me what I want to hear. Sometimes God's word tells me what God wants me to hear, even when it's hard. And sometimes what God's word says doesn't fit within a cultural context of the 21st century America. And sometimes what God's word says doesn't fit within the way that I want to behave or the way I want to interact. But it's still God's word. And if I'm going to have faith in God's word, I've got to believe all of it. From Genesis to revelation and everything in between. So we have a faithfulness in the word of God. Third this morning, do you have hope in the faithfulness of God? Hope is a confident expectation. Faith is assurance and hope. Hope in the faithfulness of God is a confident expectation that God will be faithful in the future. How can you have that kind of hope? How can you confidently expect God to work? This hope works hand in hand with our trust in the word of God. If you believe God's word to be true, you have a history of God's faithfulness in the past. Where is that history? It's right here, right? If you believe God's word to be true, you've got a written history of God's faithfulness in the past. You're told of God's faithfulness also not only of what has happened. You have, are told in God's word of his faithfulness to come, but you also have a written history that God has worked 
In addition to God's word, we can grow in confidence about God's faithfulness based on his faithfulness to us in the past. You say, Craig, that all sounds a little bit a little bit cardboard. So let me explain what I mean. Hope in the faithfulness of God is not merely saying, I believe that God has done what God has done. Hope in the faithfulness of God is saying, I believe that God will continue to be faithful in the future. Hope in the faithfulness of God says, based on what I've seen God do in the past, I have a confidence that he'll continue to be the same way in the future. We talked this morning in our life group about God being an anchor that never moves. And if he's been that anchor, then hope says he will continue to be that anchor, holding fast and shaping the world. That's who he is. We have a hope in the faithfulness of God. Faithfulness, the continuing care. We have faith not only in the works of God in the past, but hope in the faithfulness of God in the future. This is, just to be honest with you, this is where like journaling is super valuable to me. And I know not all of you do, but this is where journaling is valuable to me. I'm glad that the heat came back, y'all. I know in the shade it's beautiful and wonderful, but up here, y'all, it is, it's, it's sticky. Uh, but this is, this is where journaling is valuable because I'm able to go back and look at my journals and see God's faithfulness to me in the past, and it gives me courage to trust him even more in the future. I keep them all. And they're numbered because I'm dorky like that. But I have to because, you know, they all look the same. So I'd do something, otherwise they're just a stack. They're not numbered with my regular awesome Dewey Decimal System like I do my whole library with, all right? And that is true. I take, I take nerd to a whole other level when we come to that. But it's just numbered one, two, three, four, five, And I think we're up to about seven or eight now. I'm not sure. And they're even stacked on the bookshelf in my office in order. It's so cute. But I, I don't really do that so that if one of y'all walks into my office, you go, wow, look at that. I do that because I've got a written history of God's work in my own life. I can go back and look and say, 10 years ago at this time, what was happening in my life? I can go, hey, I remember when this thing went down in my life, and I remember it somewhere in about this time, general time. And I can go back, and y'all, I can see in my journals I can see where I've, I've prayed to the Lord that he would bring deliverance or that he would bring healing. And then I can turn over a few pages, a few days or weeks or months, and I can see, praise God, you brought me through. Of course, sometimes I can just go back and look at how bad a day was five years ago, six years ago, seven years ago, and I don't have to find anything else written because I can just go, wow, I, I had forgotten about that because God has been so good to bring me through. And folks, it's, it's, it's how, that's, that's how our personal testimony helps us to have faithfulness in, or excuse me, hope in God's faithfulness. That not only do we see that God acted a certain way in his word in the past, but we can go back and look and see that God acted a certain way in our lives in the past. And as a result of God's faithfulness in the past, I can actually have hope that that same God who behaved that way all those years ago will continue to be the same God tomorrow in the next day, and in all the days to come, because he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And it was in this God that they had hope. And so it is there in Hebrews chapter 11 that we read that faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the confidence of things, I think I just butchered that, that faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not yet seen, that they have hope in a future that is to come. 
We're going to see that in just a moment. So there's, there's hope that God will continue to be faithful, but finally this morning there's hope in a better day to come. For the Jewish people who were sent into exile, and I want to go way on back, so it's, it's important for, for us to understand why the book of Hebrews captures, why is it only in Hebrews that we have this picture in, in Hebrews 11, this hall of faith? Why don't we see that in the other verses, in the other books of the Bible? Why, why do we only have this one? And it's important for us to understand that in context of the people to whom it was written. It was written to a group of Hebrew believers. And if you know anything about Jewish people um, of old and, and of modern day, they, they are really big on history. They want to hold on to the history because they understand God's faithfulness, not based on what's coming in the future, but on what's happened in the past. And so the reason that writing to these Hebrew believers, he wants to remind them of God's faithfulness in the past, but he doesn't leave them there. And that's really important. Now, for the Hebrews who were taken into exile in Babylon, for instance, they, they struggled because they, we, we've got to believe this in Psalm 137 where it says, when they said that, tried to force us to sing the songs of Israel in Babylon, and, he, and the psalmist talks about what a challenge and how hard that was. Because they were no longer in Jerusalem looking to the temple. Instead, they were living in their own personal hell, having been taken away from their homeland. They had lost out on the promise of God and were living under God's judgment. And they wondered, where could God be? Because the only hope they had was in the God of the past. Writing to these Hebrew people, the preacher here in Hebrews reminds them of God's faithfulness in the past, but he doesn't leave them there. Because, folks, we've got to have hope not only that God will continue to be faithful. We've got to have hope in a better day to come. So it is there in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 39, that he tells us, And these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. He wants us to understand that they lived in faith even though they did not see the full realization of God's promises to them. They lived with expectation of a better day to come. They lived with hope for more. Folks, in what do you have faith? and what do you have hope? As followers of Jesus, we have hope in a better day to come. Our faith is not a faith in America. It's not a faith in NATO. It's not a faith in a political party. It's not even a faith in the Supreme Court. And folks, it's, it's not a faith in this building We have faith in a crucified and risen Lord, and in a better day to come, we will never experience perfect justice and perfect peace in this world. In fact, Jesus said just the opposite. The world is a hard place filled with disappointment and pain, and it hurts sometimes. But what do we do when it seems like the only thing we have around us is disappointment and pain, hurt and anger? We have hope in a better day to come. Hope, confident expectation. Why? Because we read the end of the book. We've read the end of the book. I don't know if you know this, but once upon a time there was a lot of preaching and singing about the day to come. There was a lot of emphasis on the book of Revelation. There was a lot of emphasis on the return of Christ. There was a lot of emphasis in our singing and our preaching. What changed? Why don't we see as much of that? Y'all are really comfortable. That's what changed. We got it made. Here's the problem. 
Folks, what are we longing for? Why would we want more? I got up this morning. The coffee came on before I woke up. The air conditioner was set to a crisp 70 degrees, and I can't wait for it to be winter so it can be at 63. The hot water was hot. The coffee was perfect. Listen, I got a great wife. There were even fresh biscuits on the counter from yesterday morning, folks. It don't get much better than that. My clothes were clean. My cabinets were full. There's a little bit of money in the checking account, so if something goes wrong, I don't have to sweat about it. Everything's going to be okay. Why do I need to sing about heaven? I'm living in heaven on earth. This is why we see, especially when we go back in those old spirituals, especially those spirituals that would come from the slaves and that would come on from, from, even other, from other oppressed peoples through the year, years. They would sing about a better day to come. So we'd sing, swing low, sweet chariot, coming forth to carry me home. Why did they want to be taken home? Because they weren't living in heaven. They were living in hell. They needed hope. They needed to be set free. Why don't we sing about it? Why don't we talk about it? Because the air conditioning works in the truck. Some of you got remote start. You're not even going to sweat today. You're going to turn it on before you get in. We got it made. But what if this isn't all there is? What if there's a day coming when it won't just be that some of us have it made, but that everybody's got it made? Right? What, what if there's a day coming? What if there's a day coming when all of the trappings of this world will fade? When justice will reign supreme? When Jesus will be exalted above all others? When he will be King of kings and Lord of lords and we will all bow down and worship the Lamb who was slain before the foundations of the world? What about a day when we will gather around the throne of God and sing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Somebody texted me this morning and said, I think sometimes, maybe, perhaps, definitely, that the church, especially in America, has lost its first love. Folks, we've lost our first love because we're not hoping for a better day to come. We're living our best life right now. And we need to be reminded that this world is passing away. That there is something better to come. Some of you need to hear that because you don't have it made right now. Some of you need to hear that because life is hard for you right now. Some of you need to hear that because as you've seen the uproar in our country and the strife right now, you need to be reminded that it won't always be like this. That there is one who will set everything aright. You need to be reminded that political divisions won't last forever because the time will come where there will be no republicanism or democracy. There will be no tyranny. There will only be one king, and he will reign supreme. And y'all, can I tell you this? We'll be happy under that king. 
We will be happy under that king. We'll never elect another president. We'll never elect another senator. We won't need to because we will be governed, led, and ruled by the prince of peace. He's perfect in every way. In what do you have faith? In what do you have hope? Do you have faith in the God who exists and who, through the power of his word, brought all things into being? Do you have faith and hope that this God who saved you will continue to sustain you? Do you have trust that he is faithful and will always be so? Do you have hope in the world to come? Do you have hope in a brighter tomorrow? What if I told you this isn't all there is? What if I told you you could hope for more and it wouldn't be a pipe dream? What if I told you that? I wonder how it would feel if I, if I, if I said that to people who were oppressed. I wonder how it would feel if I said that to people who were living in poverty. How it would feel if I said that to prisoners and to captives. I wonder how it would feel if I said that to those who live under the tyranny and the fear of Islam or the hopelessness of Hinduism. How might it feel if I said, there's more to come. There's infinitely more, and his name is Jesus. When we began this morning, I asked this question, in what do you have faith? It's a fair question. Because if we're just honest, some of you have faith in things. You got faith in money, in your position, in your life. You got faith in your reputation, faith in your abilities. See, the reality is, if I ask some of you, what happens if everything falls apart tomorrow? Your response wouldn't be that Jesus will be enough. Your response would be, well, I'll just get up and start all over again. And folks, you wouldn't say that. For any reason other than your great confidence is not in God's ability to sustain you, but in your ability to sustain yourself. But what if there's more than you and there's more than me and there's more than this world has to offer? What if instead of having your faith in a what, you had your faith in a who and that person was Jesus? So this morning the question really is relatively simple. Do you have your faith rooted in Christ or in something else? We had life group again this morning, right? Which is kind of like Sunday school, but different. But since we're all here, and and many of you grew up in the church, I want to talk about a Sunday school answer. And when I ask, do you have your faith rooted in Christ? The Sunday school answer is, yeah! But can I ask you to move past the Sunday school answer? And ask you to move to a grown-up answer? To actually look at your life? And to ask, and what do I have faith? And what do I have confidence? What do I have trust? Well, I know that when I die, I'll go to heaven one day, preacher. All right. Do you know that God's word has a lot more to say to you about what you, what's going to happen when you die? It has a whole lot to say about what you're going to do when you live, how you live, and with whom you interact. That's a lot to say about that. And if I can just be honest, I'm afraid sometimes that our emphasis on where I'm going to go when I die leads to a false hope in a God who's only concerned about that because the God of the Bible 
is concerned about everything. It's true what we sing. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I guess I quote that more than any other song, any other hymn. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name, on Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. But folks, we stand on that solid rock, not just in a hope for what's going to happen when we close our eyes on this side of eternity. Do you stand on that solid rock with a great confidence that everything he says about all that you're going to do today in his word is true? Do you have faith that God exists? Do you have faith in his word? Do you have hope in his faithfulness and hope in a day to come? And does all of that equate to an active faith, a life lived for God's glory and the good of those around you? In other words, does your faith help you to love God, love others, and change the world. Folks, if it doesn't, then let me urge you this morning, ask yourself a very serious question. In what do you have faith? And how might you have faith in Jesus Christ? Let's pray together. Father God in heaven, I pray that you'd be at work in us this morning, that you'd, Lord, move in among and through us. And Father God, we would trust you above all else. Help us to have faith in Jesus. In Christ's name, amen. If you're here this morning and you'd like to talk about what it is to have faith in Christ, I'd love to speak with you. If you're indoors, Buster's in there. He'd love to speak with you, to pray with you. Perhaps this morning you just say, Craig, I, I, Buster, I, I want to have faith, but I, I struggle. You know, I, I really believe that if I died, I'd go to heaven. But if I can just be honest with you, I've not lived a life that looks like Jesus. If I can just be honest with you, when I watch those political commercials, they make more sense to me than God's Word does. When I watch the news, it, 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 I like what it says. And pastor, would you pray for me? Tell me to have a heart that trusts God more than my feelings. Tell me to have a heart that trusts God more than the news. Tell me to have a heart that trusts God more than everything else. See, we'll pray for you that way this morning. However it is we might be able to pray, we want to do that. Y'all stand with us as we sing.